Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 6, Episode 14, Smoke and Mirrors. Smoke and Mirrors, you say? Yes, both of them. Oh, okay. Did you look up for fun facts of what the term, where, what the term Smoke and Mirrors actually comes from? Of course I did. Oh, yay. I'm excited. because We'll I get just... to that at the end of the podcast when we discuss the title of the episode. Yoo-hoo! All right. Let's get there. <laughs> okay. So this episode originally aired on January 24th, 2003. We have the story by Catherine Powers with the teleplay by Joseph Malazzi and Paul Mully, directed by Peter DeLuise. And on the commentary, we have Peter DeLuise, James Tishner, and returning Gary Jones. Yay! Even though he's not in this episode, but that's okay. Boo. So in this episode, Colonel O'Neill is charged with the murder of Senator Kinsey, and the rest of the team must uncover a conspiracy in order to clear his name. I feel like just being the sound effect board today. (laughs) (laughs) What? So this episode starts with a previously on to the events of Chain Reaction and 2001. So obviously Kinsey and the NID are going to be big plot points in this episode. The story then starts in Washington, D.C., where we cut back and forth between an assassin assembling a gun in a hotel room and Kinsey leaving another hotel. The assassin shoots. Kinsey goes down. The Secret Service scrambles, like pointing their guns, trying to figure out what happened. The gun is quickly disassembled, and the assassin exits the building, and it is Jack O'Neill. Is it, though? Is it? Hmm. So, did you think it was actually Jack? No. Like, so this is is something they talked about in the commentary, where Peter was like, obviously the audience knows that isn't really Jack. So, the, the story they need to tell isn't really proving Jack's innocence, but proving how this happened like the how ruse. Yeah. The, ru- the ruse behind what happened is the real story not proving jack is innocent because we know jack is innocent because jack would never do that mm-hmm. and if he did he wouldn't be caught on camera because he's a special ops trained air force officer so <laughs> it's funny how that's the main argument it's like jack wouldn't murder somebody that's stupid he wouldn't he wouldn't be that dumb about it jack wouldn't have been caught exactly <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so anyway, so we come back from the opening credits and Sam, Jonas, and Tilk are in Jonas's office watching the news report of Kinsey's assassination. Jack then enters still in civilian clothing because he's been on a small vacation. Sam breaks the news that Kinsey is dead. Everyone's kind of shocked and in disbelief that this is happening, but no suspect has yet been named. Fun fact, the reporter on the news is a real news anchor in British Columbia. Oh, yeah. And they were like, hey, if you're not busy today. Well, apparently she she's done like several things as like news reporters in various Vancouver filmed TV shows, oh, which I always like when they get real news anchors because there's just like a cadence that news anchors have that actors don't really get. Like actors can get close, but there's just I don't know. There's something about like the cadence and the way news anchors speak that is very specific to that profession. I've always kind of wondered if they end up just sounding like that in real life, out of habit. Like when they start to tell stories to their friends of like what they did for the weekend, are they like, well. (laughs) There is, there is this one beauty YouTuber that I watch and she used to be a news anchor and 
it's not quite that, but she is very poised in her speech. Yeah. So, yeah. You can tell yeah. she used to do something on camera before this that she does now. <laughs> funny. Someday I'm going to have to meet a newscaster in real life and just ask them to tell me a story. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> report has it. When yes. I was young. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so Hammond then enters the office with two SFs who are there to take Jack to D.C. because Jack is under arrest for the murder of Senator Kinsey. What? Hammond believes that Jack is innocent of this, but for now they kind of need to cooperate until they can figure out what has happened. Up in the briefing room, Major Davis is waiting for them. He's going to be acting as a liaison between the Pentagon and the district attorney for this. And he gives everybody the rundown of what they have on Jack. They have him on security camera footage leaving the hotel. And that's obviously not enough, but it was enough to get search warrants to search his apartment and the cabin. They found nothing in those places, but a neighbor at the cabin said they saw Jack dumping something in the small lake and they found the gun in the case and the ballistics match. Now, as much as there was bad blood between Jack and Kinsey, nothing ever really escalated to the level of murder being on the table, which everybody basically agrees with. So Hammond is taking SG-1 off of the off-world rotation and giving them the full resources of the SGC to find out what really happened. Yay. Jonas and Tilk go to visit Jack, who is still at Peterson before being sent on to D.C. Unfortunately, they do not have good news for him. They tell him about, like, the video and all of the evidence that Davis had. Jack insists he was off fishing 20 miles away from everybody else, totally alone, which was the point. Jonas asks if maybe this was, like, another secret mission thing. And Jack's like, nope, absolutely not. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah. Yeah. Tilk then asks if perhaps this was all an elaborate scheme to blame Jack for this because they knew he would be somewhere he wouldn't have an alibi. And you take down like Jack and Kinsey and there were kind of the SGC all in one swoop. Which actually sounds pretty smart. Yes. I'm like, I think Tilk might be onto something with that. Yep. Which means somebody knew where Jack was going to be. Yes. Huh? Back at the SGC, Sam has checked the video and it hasn't been faked. So either that really is Jack or somebody who looks just like him. They then bring up the mimic devices, which Jonas hasn't heard about because the whole foothold incident was completely erased from all official records. The mimic devices they recovered after that incident are under heavy guard at Area 51. So cut over to Area 51. The devices are indeed under heavy, like technological and physical guard there's like lasers and a whole bunch of buttons and fingerprint scanners like these things are as secure as secure can be at this point and all 12 devices they recovered are present and accounted for except they're not because back at peterson sam tells jack she was able to determine that the ones they took from area 51 are all fake all 12 of them all 12 interesting huh yes very much the last time any testing was done on these devices was six months ago, so the swap happened sometime in the last six months. And Jonas is like, this is great, this totally exonerates you, except this is whole, like, this is top secret alien technology kind of a thing. Don't think the, you know, civilian district attorney is really going to go for that an alien did it defense. <laughs> no. No. But maybe they can use this to find the guy who actually did shoot Kinsey. Sam and Tilk are giving Jonas 
and any new viewers a crash course on how the Mimic devices work. The somewhat good news is that the scanning device that makes the sort of hologram image wasn't taken, so the only people that can be impersonated are the 12 people from the devices that were at Area 51. That includes Jack, Janet, and Daniel. Sam and Tilk were never scanned. So Sam is asking Jonas and Tilk to check up on all of the people at Area 51 that had access to those devices. In the meanwhile, she's going to head off to DC to visit an old friend. I thought this would have been an excellent opportunity for for a Daniel cameo. Yes! They would have had to try and make it how his hair was at the time. That is true. They would have had to give him season three hair, which yeah. would have been bad wig. And But it know. would have been like oh so good bad maybe we don't even know we totally should have I just like a little you know somebody turns it on and there's Daniel for a few seconds and like oh there it is yeah uh so it turns out this old friend in DC is agent Malcolm Barrett of the NID Jonas and Tilk are doing some internet sleuthing of the Area 51 folks most of them are now working on the X303 project but one guy Dr. Brent Langham was killed in a car accident three weeks ago what a coincidence. Suspicious. Just a little bit. Hmm. So Malcolm is having like nothing to do with Sam's accusations that the NID were involved in the assassination of Kinsey. They go back and forth a bit over all the suspected activity that the NID have been involved in. As they argue, Malcolm is writing something on a piece of paper. He eventually dismisses her while like passing her their note. And he has written on there a time and place to meet up later. So Sam and Malcolm meet up in a park. They can't talk in his office because it's bugged and everything is recorded. Senator Kinsey was actually working with Malcolm to help him take down a shadow operation, quote unquote, inside the NID. Kinsey was about to hand over all of the information Malcolm would need to take them down when he was killed. Right now, the only people that know about this operation are the president, a few of the president's staff, and now Sam. And that's because the fewer people who know, the better, because who knows where this leak is, who all is involved in the shadow operation. So keep it contained, keep it safe. But he doesn't seem to be entirely convinced that Jack is innocent, given the preponderance of evidence. And Sam says something interesting. She says, your job requires you to be suspicious of everybody, even your coworkers. Where I come from, we trust each other with our lives every day. Maybe that's something you can't understand. Because Sam's just like, I trust Jack when he tells me he didn't do this. And and Malcolm's always like, how, how, why do you trust? It's like, because I know him, I have worked because with him, I've been in battle with him. That's what we do. That's what we do. We trust people. So yeah, there's this whole, they have this whole interesting sort of like trust versus distrust relationship going on. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Up in the briefing room at the SGC, Jonas is updating Hammond on what they have found. The Mimic devices were sent to Area 51 where they were studied to see if they could be adapted for use in the field. However, they were only ever to make any new devices that they created last for a few minutes due to something with the electromagnetic interference. So most of the team was then reassigned to other projects. Dr. Langham was one of the few left to work on the project and but relating back to that car accident, was identified solely by dental records as the body was burned beyond recognition. Convenient. Oh, very much, yes. Mm -hmm. The toxicology report also came back completely clean, which it shouldn't have, because Langham was epileptic and took daily medication to control his condition. There should have been traces of that medication still in his blood. 
Now, it's unlikely that Dr. Langham killed Kinsey, Kinsey himself, and it's more likely that he just provided the mimic devices to whoever did than made then either Langham made himself or somebody else made Dr. Langham disappear. And Hammond's like, find the doctor. And they're like, okay. Back in D.C., Malcolm takes Sam to an illegal firearms warehouse because it's the most likely place the assassin would have bought the weapon that was used. They head in and talk with a guy who's sitting behind a desk, and he did sell one of the type of gun that was used to shoot Kinsey last week. They show him a picture of Jack, and he's like, that's the guy. Sam then asks, asks if he looked at any other weapons. He did. Nobody else touched it except the guy who like picks it up to show it to them. And when the guy from last week picked it up, he wasn't wearing gloves. So Sam's like, how much? Because they obviously need it for evidence now. So I find this scene, I like it and don't like it at the same time. Because it was just all hokey with like the guy being the arms dealer as like the typical TV villain. He was just like, yes, that was the gentleman, you know, and just very leaning into the arms dealer villain creepy vibe. Does it help if I tell you that Peter DeLuise took inspiration from the James Bond movie, The Man with the Golden Gun, for this scene? Oh my god, yes. Yes, it does. Okay. Because that, 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 make was... it, that makes it better? Okay, then this guy was doing an excellent job, okay. because that was exactly, I was going to say he was very Bond villain of like, aha, it was this guy, huh? And like, but I did like how they had the twist at the, I didn't see where they were going with it when all of a sudden Sam was like, aha, he was not wearing gloves. Yoink! Going to take this one. Um, that was an interesting twist to the finding out of the person. But okay, yes. Now that you've told me it was very Bond villain-esque, it, it was on point. Okay, great. <laughs> so back in Sam's hotel room, they're running scans of the prints from the gun to compare to Jack's. And there is no match, which helps a bit. But how are they going to find the real guy? He's probably not in any criminal databases if he's a pro who was hired to assassinate a U.S. senator. Sam suggests he might be found in the NID personnel files, because if Kinsey was going to take them down, it seems likely they would want to take him down first. And would they like farm out that job to like some contractor they don't know? No, they take somebody from inside that's going to be harmed by whatever Kinsey has to say. So it's like, Okay, I'll go check. Yep, someone with motivation. Yes. In Jonas's office, I think it's Jonas's office, uh, he, Tilk, and Dr. Fraser are trying to figure out how they can find out where Langham is now, since he's most likely changed his name, moved who knows where, all of that. So according to Dr. Fraser, he has a very specific mix of medication that he takes for his epilepsy. They can look up any new prescriptions in the last three weeks and then compare that to the patient's stats as far as like gender, age, and all of that, and narrow the list and just go knock on doors and try and track him down that way. Sam is in her car on the phone with Hammond. They update each other on the respective information that they've uncovered, and Hammond asks if Bear is trustworthy, and Sam's like, I think so. And Hammond then reminds Sam that she can't tell Malcolm about the foothold incident, and technically, apparently, he shouldn't have even told Jonas. So things are getting a little tricky now with information. Yeah, yeah uh, it's kind of funny. Up until this point, um, I, I didn't really realize in my head of like, oh, he can't know about the devices. Oh, we have to get yeah. real creative with that. I didn't yeah. really put two and two together until he pointed that out. And it's like, oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Got yeah. it. So after they hang up, Malcolm gets back into the car, tells Sam she was right. The prints on the gun do belong to an NID agent 
Mark Devlin, and he looks nothing like Jack. Mm-hmm. Tilk is driving. He and Jonas around to check on other people on the list they got from the pharma- pharmacy records. And Jonas asks Tilk how he learned to drive. And he's like, Daniel taught me in 1969. <laughs> Yay. Little nod. So they get to another house, uh, knock on the door. The man that opens it is not the man they're looking for because I have a picture of what Dr. Langham looks like. But this man is the name David Swidell. Uh, and they're like, oh, sorry, you're not the man we're actually looking for. Sorry, wrong house. So as they're heading back to the car, Jonas swears that guy looked familiar. Took's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, wait a minute. Jonas is positive that that guy was an airman who was on guard in the gate room when Jonas first got to the SGC. Jonas probably saw for like two seconds, but okay, sure. Uh, but Jonas is a quick study. Yes. So they head back to the house. The door is locked. They split up to head around back. Uh, and like Swidell's, he's like jumping over fences, running away, trying to get away. Uh, funny thing in the commentary, apparently when Corin went to go jump over the fence, he like grabbed it and it, he just like pulled it down. <laughs> <laughs> like it just like collapsed <laughs> and then, like shimmy back up anyway so the uh, so jonas is giving chase swidell's running down the road like behind his house and as he passes like a big black van tilk's arm shoots out and just close close lines him because that's what tilk does and it's hilarious it's the excellent button on a scene yeah uh, so he's he's out on the ground they open his shirt. They see one of those mimic devices. They pull it off him. And this is indeed Dr. Langham. So question then, are they, so they're still going with the original 12 that had the original 12 images on them, right? Yes. Did it seem odd that it's just like some airman that was like just personnel number A? No, I be for me, it makes sense that some of the first people would be the guards that are on duty in the gate room. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So back at the SGC, Langham is in is in a holding cell and has asked for a lawyer, which like this isn't really like sanctioned, possibly not even legal. So things a little hairy with this whole holding Dr. Langham at the SGC situation we got going on. And uh, there's also the little thing about the injuries he sustained being brought in. And they were like, he had to be persuaded. <laughs> I do like that explanation. Yep. Uh, so Hammond tells them what Sam and Malcolm have found. And like, but we, you know, we need, we still need information from Dr. Langham and Tilk's like, he'll talk. So then we have one of my favorite scenes from season six, where Tilk just walks into the holding cell where Dr. Langham is, just sits down at the table and says nothing. Just like, just stares at him. So Dr. Langham just starts talking, tells them everything. He's like, yep. yes, you took the devices. You didn't know what they were going to do with it. He'll tell them everything as long as they promise to protect him. Mm-hmm. And I want to know how many takes Chris ruined by laughing. <laughs> that wasn't part of the commentary? No. No. All right. Do you have a guess? At least a dozen. All right. <laughs> how many eyebrow raises? <laughs> <sighs> Sam and Malcolm get to Devlin's house. He does see them coming, kind of like slinks away off camera. They knock, get no answer. Sam takes out her lock picking kit and gets to work. But like Malcolm ain't got no time for that and just kicks down the door. Yep. So they make their way through the house and it's empty, except for several cans of gasoline with the timer attached to them that is very quickly approaching zero. 
they hoof it out of the house, they go flying. As it explodes, Malcolm does the very gentlemanly thing of like covering Sam to protect her. And he's, she's like, thanks, get up now. I'm fine. Get off of me. Uh, Hammond and Jonas are now in the interrogation room with Tilk getting the full story from Langham. He was asked to bring the mimic devices to Washington himself because they didn't want to deal with a courier in case something went wrong. But he reiterates that he had no idea what was going to be done with them. He had been told that it was going to be analyzed for commercial use and they want names. And the only thing he'll tell them right now is that they're called the committee. They're just a group of businessmen. And this is this is all it's all this whole thing is about money. They hire, quote unquote, rogue NID agents to sneak them alien tech out of Area 51 that they then sell to be incorporated into Earth technology. And nobody ever said protecting Earth had to be a nonprofit business. And if that isn't the most American thing I've ever heard, then. I know. That was fantastic. Me upside. No. <laughs> yep. Nobody ever said it was a nonprofit organization. Ah, oh, groan. Yeah. But unfortunately, that is how it would happen if the Stargate was real. Oh, totally. Yeah. So, but now, before Langham tells them anything else, he wants to know how exactly they're going to protect him. Because it's not like the Air Force has a witness protection program, just like we do have a Stargate. So, if these people are really that dangerous and there's nowhere on Earth that you can be safe, well, we'll just make sure you're not on Earth then. That's totally, like... Can you imagine that kind of witness protection program? They're like, we're sending you to an entirely different planet. Bye. Yeah. I mean, that is about as secure as secure can get, I would imagine. I would think so, yes. Uh, Sam and Malcolm get back to her hotel room looking a little worse for the wear after being gunned and slightly blown up. And Malcolm thinks that somebody at the SGC had to have leaked the info. Sam thinks it's more likely that somebody just tracked what Malcolm was doing on his computer and figured it out that way. Hammond then calls and Malcolm doesn't want Sam to answer, but she's like, if you're going to trust me, you're going to trust my team. So she answers because that's what she does. Mm -hmm. Good news is they have the names of who is responsible for the assassination, but Malcolm wants more information than just that. Like just the testimony of a guy who's gotten immunity for committing crimes isn't great. Like it's something, but they, it's not really enough. So she's like, I can't, I can't tell you and he's like what about that trust thing we've been talking about trust you know mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so she tells him about the foothold situation and the mimic devices and that those that thing is what was used to make it look like jack killed kinsey so and like you know so that combined with the testimony that's all they got and it's like well maybe it's not all they got because it turns out Malcolm's been keeping a secret. Kinsey's not dead. What? Who saw that coming? I did. Anyone? I did. I, did. I totally saw yeah. it coming. Yeah. There's uh, no way they could kill him anyway. No, especially not in the first like minute of the episode. If Kinsey dies, it's at the end of the episode. Yeah, no. Uh, so he's currently in a coma under 24-hour guard. If he regains consciousness, then he can give them the information that they need to take this whole shadow organization down. Anywho, the Pentagon has been made aware and are sending one of their men over to the hospital. It's Major Davis. And Sam's like, oh, no, that's not good because Davis is one of the men that can be impersonated with the mimic device. So shit, shit, shit. That's good. In the hospital, we see Devlin walk into an elevator, pull out one of the mimic devices, stick it on himself, and transform into Major Paul Davis. Mm -hmm. As Davis 
exits the elevator. The sergeant on duty outside Kinsey's room greets him, lets him in. Davis then pulls out a handgun and attaches a silencer. And we now sort of start jumping back and forth between Devlin meeting with the committee and what happened in the hospital room. So Devlin's meeting with the committee, assuring them that Kinsey is actually dead this time. There were some complications, though. Back at the hospital, just as the sidearm is cocked, the fire alarm goes off. Medical personnel come in and move Kinsey out. One of the sergeants then asks Davis to stay where he is, and he decides to knock him and the other guard out instead so he can go after Kinsey. The committee isn't concerned about the cards being like collateral damage. It's just more for Major Davis to take the fall for. One of the members of the committee brings up that the SGC still has Langham in custody, and the guy that seems to be in charge is like, eh, that's not something. His testimony can be discredited easily enough. What they want to do now, though, is move on to move on to eliminating General Hammond. Back at the hospital, Davis walks determinedly down the hall and gets to the elevator just as it closes. He watches and sees that it goes all the way down to the basement and then heads for the stairs. The committee is still discussing what to do about Hammond because they'll probably be expecting something if they know about the whole mimic device thing now. They could always just send someone to talk to him, try and get him to retire again, and they will be very convincing this time. Hmm. Davis has reached the basement and he's like in a locker room looking around. Sam gets him with a zat. Great. He goes down. They remove the mimic device, returning him to Devlin. What? The committee then asks Devlin to go visit Hammond and let him know they're very concerned for the safety of his family. And if he doesn't listen, then you just kill him. It's whatever. Just kill him. Doesn't matter. It's fine. Mm-hmm. But then Devlin starts like flickering, and finally his image goes away, and it's Sam standing there. Surprise! Delivering one of the best lines. General Hammond sends his regards. Mwah. Yep. Great. Great line. Uh, Malcolm and several armed men then burst into the room. The committee all hold up their hands and prepare to be taken into custody. Sam took a big risk, but she knew Malcolm was listening and would be there when he needed to be. And hey, Six and a half minutes is a new record for, like, the the hologram lasting thing that they were able to do. So, great. We cut back to Kinsey in the hospital. He is now up and awake and apparently totally fine after being in a coma. But who knows how long? Well, (laughs) three three weeks, apparently, I guess. Um, He's, like, tying his tie when Jack enters in his full dress blues. And he's asked Jack there to help. Jack gets the public vindication that he needs. After all, the public want their Air Force members to be heroes, not villains. Jack's not sure that whatever he's about to do is worth that, but let's find out what's happening. So, yep. outside the hospital, there's a podium with, like, reporters and, new camera and news cameras all set up. Kinsey gives a great speech, apologizing for the deception around his quote-unquote death but it was all part of the plan necessary to flush out anti-democratic forces in various parts of the government. And if he's elected, he'll bring that same dedication to justice to the White House. Yeah. I love love Jack's face the whole time because it's, it's so subtle and so fantastic where you could just see him seething. Just like clenching his jaw. Yep. Yep. But I'm on camera. I'm on camera. I'm on camera. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Kinsey then goes on to assure everyone that any evidence of guilt on the part of Colonel Jack O'Neill was all part of the ruse. And Kinsey then holds out his hand to Chew Jack. There's a bit of a pause, because of course there is, but 
Jack eventually gives in and shakes Kinsey's hand, and he's just like, thanks, you just won me the election. The end. So this episode did not help to answer any of the fun questions we had from last time they made the mimic devices of like, Like what about like clothing and wardrobe and what are you what does it do for somebody that's completely a different size or body type from the hologram yep. like what yeah no, mm-hmm. it did not help with any of those things it did though answer some question in that the fingerprint on the gun even though it looked like jack was the fingerprint of the man underneath jack so it really is just a hologram you know, okay, yeah, that's there's, true. That's there's good. no actual physical transformation of the person. It's just like a glamour shield, if you will. There, that that part is answered. I will say. Okay, yeah, but still but, like wardrobe and body type and yes, because <laughs> although I did go back and look, and Jack is wearing the same clothes he seems to be wearing in Foothold, like the black shirt and khaki pants. But I don't know if Davis is in the right uniform or if he would have been like if he would have been like with the tie on because he was taken at the SGC. So he would have been in like his full uniform for that. But in the original episode, they were changing outfits. And that's what sparked it for us. Because I was like, do they have a database of outfits? I don't. Yes. Yes, Like like those fashion plate dolls you used to have. Yes. So, yeah, because Jack would have been scanned because they got scanned as soon as they came back from the mission. So he would have been scanned in his BDUs, but he was not wearing BDUs in like the rest of the episode. So, right. Yes. So, yeah. There are still some questions, I suppose. We can continue to make up our own gaps to the or, you know, fill in the gaps ourselves. Yes. But I did like that they didn't put foothold in the previously on before this so the it being those mimic devices was actually like a bit of a surprise oh yeah that's true so i did like that that was good yeah uh so the episode title oh yes go on milk and Mm -hmm. mirrors mirrors. okay so i think i think you know that works for like what happened with this with the ruses and deceptions and tricks and all of that stuff so The the original smoke and mirrors has been used to refer to like magic tricks forever, like literal smoke and mirrors of people doing like on stage magic. Yeah. Um, but if you're talking about smoke and mirrors in like the idiomatic sense, that comes from what year? What year do you think it was first used in an idiomatic sense? And I was gonna come up with something just like completely ridiculous, but I I'm just going 1901. 1975. Dang. Uh, in a book Wait. by Jimmy Breslin called How the Good Guys Finally Won Notes from an Impeachment Summer. This was a book about the Watergate scandal. Oh, okay, yeah. So in the book he wrote, all political power is primarily an illusion. Mirrors and blue smoke, beautiful blue smoke rolling over the surface of highly polished mirrors. If somebody tells you how to look, there can be seen in the smoke great magnificent shapes, castles, and kingdoms, and maybe they can be yours. Oh, interesting. So that's where Smoke and Mirror started to take on the sort of like political, you know, scheming kind of meaning, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still always think of the magician type trick. Yes. Yeah, that is the first thing. Reference, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so we do have some fun foreign territory titles. Oh, okay. Uh, in French and Czech, it was called Smokescreen. Okay. 
in their respective languages. In German, it was called the Power Cartel. Ooh, I like that one. That's a good one, yes. Yeah. And in Hungarian, it was called Struggle for Power, or like Power Struggle, depending on how you sort of okay. orient those words in the translation. But yeah, some yeah. kind of Power Struggle reference. <laughs> Which could be applied to so many. That's like Desperate Measures. <laughs> Okay, could this one be called Desperate Measures? Ooh, you know, I don't know if the measures in this one are desperate enough. I don't, I think it's just, I think it's just measures. I don't think they were desperate. Okay. Yeah, what do you think? Do you think they were desperate measures? I mean, faking a U.S. senator's death is pretty extreme, but I don't know if it's desperate, Right. I guess is the thing. They're extreme measures, maybe not desperate measures. Okay, so now we're... We're going with <laughs> the actual one and then the one we just kind of said all the time anyway. And now we're using both interchangeably, like whenever. No, they're <laughs> not interchangeable. Okay, they're not, not interchangeable. Whichever context they apply in. No. Okay. I'm going, okay. no. My answer is no. No. Desperate measures does not apply. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but perhaps extreme. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Wormhole extreme. Wormhole extreme measures. Wormhole Extreme is the first episode where we met Malcolm Barrett. <laughs> there you go. Wormhole Extreme Measures. There you go. Uh, okay. Um, a quick follow-up from the discussion we had at the end of last week with the first is the worst, second is the, be- is the best whole thing. Apparently, we're the only weirdos who did third is the nerd. Everybody else knows third is the one with the hairy chest. Really? Yes. What? Yeah. Okay. Nobody grew up where we grew up then nope like we're talking like uk and california like it is like cross continent oh wow yeah well okay then oh we're the only weirdos all right nobody (laughs) nobody else grew up in the midwest apparently not no sorry (laughs) or if they had they didn't write in so i don't know we'll see well hey how many people did actually vote was it like three two all right. So, <laughs> but I thank you guys very greatly for hopping on the Discord and letting us know. I very much appreciate it. <laughs> Yay. Thank you, two people. <laughs> You're the best two people ever. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yay. Um, one last little piece of business before we wrap up. Um, if you are listening to us on Google Podcasts, you may have already seen this, but Google has announced they will be shutting down Google Podcasts in 2024. So no specific time, but just sometime next year. Uh, we are, again, like on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And if you don't want to listen on either of those applications directly, you can use a third-party podcatcher to listen to the show. And it will like pull in our whole show and information and data and everything from usually Apple, Spotify. It just depends on what the podcatcher uses for their source material. Um, for example, I use Podcast Addict to listen to podcasts, but there's there's a ton out there if you don't want to listen directly on Spotify or Apple. Any final thoughts on Smoke and Mirrors? Like, do we like this one? I I think this is one of the better ones of season six. But how do you feel about it? I thought it was okay. Yeah. This, this is one of the ones that I have your reaction of like, it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's going to be an official review of whether or not, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, uh, thank you everybody for listening. As always, you can find us on Instagram at SG underscore rewatch. And now on Discord, please check for the link in the show notes, or you can send us an email at woo, that's W-O-O-S-G rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for Paradise Lost. Bye. Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Star... Bleh, 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 bleh. <laughs> <laughs> Put that at the end. <laughs> okay.